We have another great topic for you all tonight, you game masters and players looking to up your game in Star Trek Adventures uh, RPG. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one site for Star Trek Adventures and Captain's Log RPG. Happen to also be a freelancer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and a the lead writer on Captain's Log. And of course, it's this show is not a show unless we have my partner in crime, Jim Johnson. Hi everybody, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG and the Captain's Log Solo RPG, both published by Modifius Entertainment. And I am thrilled to be on this show with Michael, going on 100 plus episodes now, two years strong, going into year three. I just uh, am just so impressed and humbled that we've made it this far and we've got still so much more yet to do. Um, if you had uh, asked me, you know, two years ago, if we'd still be doing this after two years, I'd be like, nah, we just, we were just doing one episode or two episodes or one product or something. And then it just kept going and going and going and, uh, thrilled to, to have a great guest on tonight. Al Spader, uh, who's been on a number of our shows is a, um, super strong writer, uh, is going into his own creative zone right now with, uh, some original stuff. You go check out sentience. If you haven't already. 2D20 World Builders. It's awesome. And it's gotten lots of love from Modifius. I see the World Builder newsletter come out and uh, Sentience is prominently featured on a lot of those uh, um, newsletters. So I'm just thrilled for everything that you're doing, Al, and uh, some of the sneak peeks you've shown me of some other stuff. So I'm thrilled about that. But I'll stop talking, introduce yourself and uh, plug your uh, plug your next big thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Al Spader. Uh, I am a freelance RPG writer. I've done a bunch of work for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, and like Jim said, uh, I am uh, I am the creator of Sentience 2D20, um, where you play sentient robots and uh, and build a better world, so to speak, a positive look at AI. Um, and got some other things uh, coming out, hopefully in the first quarter of this year, we will uh we will hopefully have something to celebrate soon about that. Uh, but for as for tonight, uh, we are discussing uh, a much talked about topic, and that is how can we ease our players into starship combat? Um, so we see a lot of stuff on online in all the social social medias of uh, new. GMs or new players trying to understand the ship combat rules for Star Trek Adventures. So tonight we're going to try to pitch some ideas with you on how to ease people into uh, a starship combat scenario and um, and maybe give you some tips and tricks as to um, how to enhance that experience along the way. Nicely done. All right. So let's just jump into it. Um, you, uh, both are much more mechanically inclined than I am. Not to say that I don't like mechanics, but I'm much more lean into the narrative and I, 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 I don't want to say I avoid mechanics, but if I can find a narrative way into things and, and describe it that way, so much the better. Um, I look at like the big fleet battles in, uh, the dominion war and wolf three, five, nine and stuff like that. And I'm like, where's the character moments? Like, like, yeah, sure. The, the combat's going on over here and the combat's going on over there, but like, where's the cool character moments. And I think DS nine did that pretty well in the dominion war where you see all the, the different wings fighting each other and you know, the pew pew going back and forth, but then it always goes back to the bridge and it's focusing on what's the characters doing, what's Cisco doing, et cetera. And so I would almost generally lean into the narrative and just kind of like narrate around the mechanics 
but that's not why we're here and i know that i'm a different perspective but i wanted to just provide that color commentary to say you know game masters and players you don't have to reuse the rule set as it's written you could you could get get fuzzy around the edges if you want to but uh, al michael if you uh, if you want to go more raw rules is written by the book or if you want to even take what's in the book and kind of like dance around it i know we'll talk about captain's log in a little bit but as far as uh, sta uh, what are your thoughts as far as like how how does a bunch of newbies, uh, you know, wanting to get a Starship Combat and not talk their way out of it like a lot of players do? How how do you get into Starship Combat in um, in STA? Yeah, I, I want to expound on what you said really before we quickly run into that because you made a good point um, that it depends on the narrative, right? So there's times we see in Star Trek where a ship battle is happening. And you're not seeing any of the photons or phasers firing. In fact, they don't even cut to external shots. Now, we know we, we, they did that because of budgetary reasons, but that forced the creativity of the writers to say, how are we going to write a space battle? And we're only showing the interior of the vessel the entire time. And so my first piece in saying this is when it comes to ship battle and you know you're going to have one in your game you need to make a couple determinations you need to make a couple determinations as you said character moments is this about character moments in that case why do you even have to roll for the ship to ship battle extensively we'll talk about simplifying those mechanics later in ways you might do that if it is a dominion level fleet battle can you modify the rules so that you're not handling every phaser shot but you're teaching it more like a tactical exercise on a larger scope so maybe we'll talk about how we do that and ways you can creatively use the 2d20 dice to do that and i know we've done that in our game um, that al plays in the uss pioneer um, and then if it is a one-on-one -on -one ship battle what's the goal of it like is it to exhibit how during a ship battle different systems go down and how talented your characters are with workarounds and jury rigs? So really, it's all about the story you're trying to tell, which is going to determine what type of ship to ship battle you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing I would say that you want to think about, um, and we, we've done this before on several different um, continuing conversations, talking about the ship as a character, right? So if you're players have had a chance to experience personal combat and things like that um the ship is just another character right um and it happens to be a character that every person playing uh in your game has access to and can use as a tool um but if you think of it of ship combat as like character combat you, you'll see that it's very very similar mechanically um, and I think that's kind of like where uh, where we'll we'll start off. Right. And I know a lot of people when discussing ship combat um, for the first time uh, suggest do a one on one. Like if, if you if you want to learn the rules, do a one on one uh, ship combat and that'll give uh, the players a chance to see all the different things they can do um, once the battle starts happening. Yeah, I'm going to invite also, when you talk about one-on-one ship battle, if you really want to make it easy on your players, and you're going to see this in some upcoming modules that are coming out in Star Trek Adventures, is make it their ship against maybe a pirate ship that's only scale one or scale two. So the fear of losing is kind of out there, but they get to play with the mechanics of firing phasers, seeing how shields work, maneuvering, evasive maneuvers, you know, just some start them where they obviously outmatch this person. Because if they're playing a Starfleet game, they're not going to kill the person. They'll probably end up 
put them in a tractor beam anyways. Um, but, but start small and then have them meet somebody of the same scale. And then of course, freak them out later and give them a board cube <laughs> to fight against. Oh, brutal. <laughs> So uh, uh, one of the things that you both touched on a little bit that I was wondering if we could kind of play with a little bit is um, I, I wonder if, uh, you know, in the in the core books, of course, there is a fairly long list of actions players can take during Starship combat, right? Different roles have different things they can do. There's lots of actions. There's lots of momentum spends in combat. There's just a lot of stuff to to it's not so much stuff. It's options, right? There's so many options that you can play with. And then you add on top of that the character role benefits that you get like the captain uh the commanding officer has a benefit the xo has a benefit etc cetera, etc cetera. so everyone's got all these different benefits and then of course you've got your talents too right you got different talents that can impact starship combat um or movement or or being a cool pilot or something so um you know as a player and it, well so as a game master of course you got to kind of have a sense of all that stuff in your head just like any game master right i mean you got to know the rules and you got to know what your players have um, and then as a player, of course, you know, even though you've only got, you know, four talents and a and a and a character role uh, ability and um, you know, all those options in combat, like how do you how do you take all that down and distill it and simplify it so that someone new to the system is not just completely overwhelmed and they just say, Oh, you know what, I'm just gonna roll 2D20 and shoot phasers, right? Like and, and just lean back into the into the traditional mindset there. So, uh, yeah, I was actually just thinking the exact same thing. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Mm -hmm. um, so there are um, cards that Modiphius has put out. Um, you got you can uh, get them in, the, I think, the Klingon starter set. The board cube had some uh, that, that talk about what each character can do on a station. Um, I believe that they're also available as a digital download. Yep. Um, so. Uh, I would suggest like if you know this is something you're going to do next, if it's your first time uh, with a group uh, introducing uh, this type of combat, make sure that the characters have access to those things ahead of time. The last thing you want to do is to have somebody sitting across the table from you drop down. All right, here's 12 new options for you um, that will really bog down. And I know, Michael, you talk about analysis paralysis all the time. It, it, it really is an overwhelming thing. So I think preparation is the key um, for yourself and for the players that you're playing with. So if you can get access to any of those cards, um, that would be really, really helpful. Yeah, I've had those cards, um, but at my tabletop playing group, we have neurodivergent people and also people who speak English as a second language. So that's not super helpful for every player at my group. So what we did in our session zero, when we set up, it's like, okay, what's your role? And let's talk about what do you think you can do with the ship buttons? Like, what kind of things do you do? What kind of thing, you know? And then I gave them a little overview of the technology in each game. Each game, I kind of build it like watching Star Trek Prodigy. I make sure we incorporate a trope from Star Trek into each one of the games. So we're nine episodes in, nine games in right now. And I made sure that we introduced them to transporters or communications or deflectors. So, so with that, um, you don't th pile them with everything. When you as a GM are structuring the adventure, say, okay, this time we're going to explore navigating through dense asteroids and dangerous planetary systems. So it's about navigation um, and trying to fight another ship while navigating through asteroids. And I leave it there. Um, and and so that so in person, I, my point in saying that is, if if they 
don't memorize all the different things a navigator can do. I ask them, well, what do you want to do? And oftentimes they'll say, well, I want to hide behind an asteroid so I don't get hit. And then when the other guy comes around the corner, I want to sneak up on him. Perfect. That's two different things. Let's handle it just like that. And then I'll say, I'll tell them, okay, use this combo of stuff. A couple of times that works. Online, Discord, of course, it is, is of course, different because we play on Discord and we use ModuleBot. And ModuleBot has all of it programmed in. So if my player was to say, I want to do evasive maneuvers, I can just type in the code and it shows them exactly what role they need to do. Um, so, so there's some really nice tools out there that simplify, but really I just want them to envision what they're trying to do without techno babble. And then I, as the GM feed it to them. And after a couple rounds, they get it. They, they, they understand the rhythm. Yeah. I've, I found that, uh, I like to, um, really just encourage the players. Like, what do you, like you're saying, what, what do you, what creatively, what do you want to do in this battle? It's like, uh, Instead of them saying, you know, well, can I do this or can I do that? It's like, sure, you can do literally, you can try to do literally anything. So just tell me what you're going to do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to use an invasive maneuver and I want my ship to sling around behind the other one and do a 180 corkscrew or something and uh, give my, my tactical officer an advantage. Can I do that? It's like, sure. That sounds like a, that sounds like a task. The ship will assist you. Do you want to buy some extra dice? And, uh, and instead of it being like an extended task, just make it more like a, um, like not not even a gated challenge, like a linear challenge, right? Just task after task after task. Just break it down, really simple. Lean into the core mechanic of you know you know target number two d twenty. Did you get enough successes, right? And uh, play a little bit with momentum and threat until they're more comfortable with the rule set, and they can say, oh, you know, I just discovered I'm a I'm the I'm the best pilot in the or I've got the talent. One of the I got this great talent that I can use to make my my combat maneuvers even better. It's like, well, okay, yeah. So now use that. But in the meantime, like if I, I want my players to just really come up with cool ideas, right, based on what they've seen on the shows or just whatever's on top of their head, I don't want them to feel like they can't do something because the system says they can't do it, right? Because like I think our system is so flexible, you just have to kind of like get into the between the lines of the rules a little bit and kind of break it open. But um, Al, I'm eager to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, I think that... Um... So, so like what Michael was saying is, you know, using these asteroids to fly around, uh, a lot of the abilities that a character gets when they're on the bridge that they might use in combat can also be used not in combat. So as you are building up to this combat experience for the first time, you may want to have some type of, you know, bottle episode where everyone's on the bridge playing around with their abilities um, where the stakes aren't nearly as high. Um, and that'll get them familiar with what they are capable of. Um, but to your point, Jim, I think I think what is really cool about role-playing games these days is there's a lot of describe your action, I'll tell you what you need to do, right, as the GM. Uh, so getting characters familiar with what they want to do and then seeing what rules fit for that, I think works really, really well um, for Star Trek adventures. Um, and and I think uh, the more narrative you can get with what you want to do, um, the cooler stuff uh, the, the, the combat will look like, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think create advantage, like uh, you said, is a very important tool here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if there's not a specific thing that you can do in the rules that you would like to do, I think the create advantage mecha mechanic uh, helps with that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think uh, Michael will be really happy to hear me say that uh, you just need to lean into the yes and part of the story, right? Find out what your players are excited by and excited about, and then just lean into that. And 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 like you know, if the mechanics aren't aren't helping, or you know, you you feel like you're gonna have a stopping point where you need to go flip flip through some pages and break the momentum, you know, don't you know, resist that and just say yes and. And I I know there's been a couple instances in my sessions where um where I would just go with it. I would just kind of like decide, oh, you know what? I'm going to make this a difficulty zero task. Or I might just narrate it and just like, like not even ask them to roll a dice because, you know, the, the group is vibing in this moment and we're doing good and like cool things are happening. And I would almost rather reward the players by coming up with a really cool idea than making them, okay, now, okay, that sounds like a great idea. Now roll. Because like even just picking up the dice and rolling takes that that beat away from you. And if you're in the momentum of the scene or something, right? um yeah, so, I, yeah maybe what we could do is to ha have a little helpful tutorial and maybe we'll cut these into three small videos actually to, to what, what we're about to do what i'm going to suggest we do i think what we should do is why don't we talk about how we may modify the game mechanics for a fleet battle like you're seeing behind me if you're watching the youtube video like a dominion war level fleet battle and then what we'll do is we'll talk about how we may use or modify mechanics for a ship to ship battle you against one or two ships right and then we'll go and say you know what if you just want to really simplify the rules almost captain's log level uh mm -hmm. for those who play solo rpg what would ship to ship battle look like so does that sound good if we talk it from the high level down to the low level sure we can do that uh, how are we going to transition that and then edit it out <laughs> oh i'm just no no we're going to keep it for this episode but oh, I'm saying, okay yeah but you know lately if any of you follow us on youtube uh, uh jeff at studio timbo who's our producer editor he's been making these little one two minute clip stuff so maybe oh, these will okay, turn into like little it. five minute how to for okay. different level battle so that was a peek behind the scenes without actually going behind the scenes because we don't really do any edits on this show <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's if, you, if w these may be good for us in the future for quick when people say how do i do fleet battle we can maybe yeah. shoot it to them so there you go there you go we'll see what so, so we're, we're doing a little bit of meta commentary here for you folks we so are. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> all right so, so let's let's switch gears in a little bit and let's go to the high level fleet battle engagement kind of stuff and then we'll work our way down to the to the single chips okay yeah so what i'll do is i'll use actually a battle that al played in on our game when if you'll remember when we did the uh scavenger the the you know uh raven star ravager episodes of uss pioneer people could go look those up and read them but there was a time when our ship was working with some other ships that were actually cause dragons. They were actually space dragons that were fighting alongside us, manned space dragons, um, against another fleet of vessels. And I knew we were gonna, this was going to be a big, pivotal space battle episode. So what I did um, in agreement with the players is we treated space battle basically one-on-one. -on -one. So if they're facing one person, we had that role going on. But for everybody else fighting... We treat it like a game of risk. So if you know the game of risk, um, you have the dice, the six-sided dice. And if you have five armies against five armies, you roll all the dice and you match them up by rank and all the top dice beat the small dice. And ties mean both armies stay. So we treated it using the D6 like risk and we put ships for ships like that. So if six ships were coming at you, you get six dice, you know, they have six dice and you only have three dice in your, in your sub fleet because, you know, different fleets are breaking up. Then they're rolling six against your three. We know how math works on that. So 
that's how we were maneuvering this fleet battle. And it was scary. Some, some roles you do great and some roles you get your butt kicked. Um, and it really symbolized to me what we saw like in the Dominion War level. And that's how we were handling the fleet level battle. Al, what was your take on that scene? You were, yeah. you were freaking out during it, so. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a, a lot of fun um, and, 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 you know, pretty epic. And, and what it did is it kept the narrative going, right? Because we were really focused on one ship and then the other things were happening in the background as well. Um, I would, um, you know, give a shout out to the Homeworld role-playing game, also by Modifius. Um, they introduced some really cool mechanics for fleet battles. Um, and I would uh, I would take them and adapt them uh, to Star Trek all day long um, in that essentially what they do is they have each character around the table takes control of a ship. Um, and then that those ships um have uh used the crew qualities that um adversary ships use in the um core rule book uh and basically they become the person that controls all the actions for the ship that they take over so that if you want to do like mass combat mass fleet battles and and not focus so much on the character side of things I would definitely recommend looking into those mechanics from the homeworld game um, and, and just look at your um, your crew qualities um, that you can put on different NPC ships and say, OK, well, now this is a PC ship that this person is in charge of. Um, and those type of battles can go a really long time and can take a while to get through. I would warn you of that. Um, but if that's something you're interested in, it's definitely an option. Yeah, great ideas. I, I would even, uh, you know, I this gosh, the system is so flexible, um, and and you can expand it or con contract it, right? If you want to, like I was thinking, like if you were playing with a group of players and you wanted to get into this tactical, um, you know, fleet combat where you're worried about the left wing and the right wing in the center, like you could e have each of those be a separate task, right? Like lean into the crew, the crew. Um, the numbers you were just talking about, Al, I just I just drew a blank on what they were called. Crew uh, quality. Yeah. Um, so like if, is the is the right wing gonna press the advantage on the on the enemy? You know, maybe it's a difficulty two task roll for that group of ships as one entity. And you know, did they roll enough successes? Okay, they're pressing the attack. Now we switch the camera over to the center where the player ship happens to be. What's going on here? That gives you a chance to kind of zoom in a little bit on the on the human element or the the humanoid element, I guess, you know, getting into the characters that we care about. And then you can zoom back out, go maybe to the go to the left flank. And okay, what's happening on the left flank? Maybe there's one player character who's communicating with them over there and can use their uh, character role or a talent or something to kind of help them. Maybe they maybe it's the commanding officer officer giving a command or it's the first officer who's using their um their role ability to 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 spend momentum to give them a determination back or something right there, there's ways you can play with it and play with the narrative and keep rolling some dice just to keep you know keep keep things moving um to play with it a little bit yeah there yeah. was the, oh i was gonna say there was even a mechanic alan i'm kind of forgetting i'm gonna have to look at my old excel spreadsheet but we had created that if you have your fleet the choices you had each turn were to attack, flee, like move zones away to be out of range, regroup, or split your fleet. Mm -hmm. So we had created it so you those are you're not attacking every round. You actually can do maneuvers because if one fleet gets blown away and scaled down from seven ships to two ships, they need to regroup. <laughs> they need to get into a bigger fleet, you know. And so that was kind of a fun thing. And I'll probably add that to continuing missions 
um, for people to see that. Hmm, yeah, the, the one thing I would um, put forth uh, to you all is that um, if you are going to do this style of combat and you want to have multiple ships and multiple things going on, I would probably um, not go into super detail on some of the minutia of ship combat. Mm -hmm. For example, like going into specific systems to see which are breached. Um, instead, I would just keep track of the total number of breaches, basically the modified um, GM um, breach tracker I would use for every ship that anybody is using. Um, like don't go into detail about, um, you know, now there's a fire in engineering and some, you have to send people to go deal with it um, because that's not, you know, the point that you're trying to get at with this. And it'll really, really slow. Yeah. And we didn't do that at all. I want to point oh. out, remember we treated it like risk. If a ship lost in ship to ship combat, we just had it pictured like that shit blew up. No explanation. So we did not go down to the minutia of multiple breaches at all when we did our huge fleet combat. And I thought that really worked because people were freaking out trying to figure out how many ships do we have left every round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, th think about the 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 Dominion War or even like the the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine. Like as the cameras moving around, things are happening in the background or in the sides of the cameras. You'll see ships getting hit and spinning off and out of control and blowing up. Like that just happens. That's just casualties of war. It happens. But add that into your narrative, right? So, don't, like like I was saying, don't focus on the minutia and track breaches for every single ship because you'll just turn it into a slog and you'll never get it. You'll never it'll never get done. But just like throw it, pepper in some narrative, like the you know the wing of Excelsior class ships are coming in on the side and they're not doing so good. They get hammered. Two of them go spinning out of control and explode in violent shards of light. Blah blah blah, and you just go on from there. So, um, you know. Just, you know, think about what you've seen on screen. I, I think Star Wars is a bit of an extreme example because that's what Star Wars is really all about is the pew pew and the blow up. But for Star Trek, it's a little different because there's more pathos, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but uh, um, just think about what you've seen on screen and, and like you know, these things happen and uh, um, pepper that into your uh, into your story. Yeah. And as a game master, remember, your players are the heroes. They are not like the other ships. They're supposed to be the best ship out there. So we don't need to treat them like a risk role. For some reason, narrative purposes, of course, they survive. They are most likely to survive because they are the center of the ship. So, so you don't treat them like battle fodder like the other people. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a really, 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 really good narrative reason, like the beginning of Emissary, when Cisco, even though he was the hero... His ship got blown up, and there was a reason for it. There's a narrative reason for that, Correct. but it's okay. So it's okay to punish the player character's ship once in a while, but you got to have the right, you know, story reason for it. Oh, yeah. oh that being said, of course, the, the Defiant did get destroyed. So, uh, uh, you know, spoiler warning, thirty year spoiler warning for those who haven't watched all of DS Nine yet. <laughs> good. So, anything to add about that? Because I think that's a good segue to ship to ship battle and how to treat that. Does that work, Al, for you? Okay, because I want to go with what you just said, Jim, because again, I'm going to keep using our game as an example of how we played it because it's fresh in my mind. There have been times where we, where the characters, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al, where the characters have been in pain because the ship was taken to such a beating in a ship-to-ship -ship battle. So maybe I'll let you introduce it, Al, and then we'll talk about how best to handle and teach ship-to-ship -ship, ship battle to players. Uh, yeah, I, I, and the first thing I think I would lead off with is 90% of the time, ship combat doesn't la last until a ship gets destroyed, right? It, it Somebody gives up, somebody flees, someone is damaged, you know, um, 
because I think if you follow the rules to the letter, I mean, we're talking about super megalithic structures here, right? They can take a lot of punishment before they actually um, become destroyed. So I would put forth uh, to game masters and players that if you are getting into a ship to ship combat, it's likely that neither ship is going to blow up, you know? Um, so I would, I would just lead with, with that right there. Um, and just remember the ship is a character, right? So your players should all feel connections to the ship that they're on. Um, so when that ship gets damaged, it should be like if their wife gets injured, you know, or if their kid's sick, you know, things like that, like that, that's the type of connection we're really trying to foster. Um, somebody, I forget who said it, I might've been on one of these podcasts that there's a reason that most of our Star Trek shows are named after the ship, right? It's not necessarily Star Trek Cisco or Star Trek Jane right way, right? It's discovery, it's enterprise, it's deep space nine, right? Prodigy. So that, Right, right. So those those characters of the ship, um, you know, it should be meaningful when they get hurt and destroyed mm-hmm. <laughs> or wrecked. Yeah. I I want to add to that that I want to go back on something you said with the, with the with the ship and if we were in space. So I, I want people to understand the distinct difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. Star Wars life is droids and life is clones, and they make a, 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 a big statement that this is meaningless life. And they throw at it and let them destroy each other in horrible, horrible ways. It's battle fodder constantly. So Star Trek is about preserving life. And I even noticed this with these other space beings. And why I say like a Klingons or Cardassians, the reason I say that is because if you were in space, let's picture ourselves in space. And for all mankind makes the TV show for all mankind really starts showing how I think this would really evolve if humankind moves into space. When your ship gets damaged, that could kill everybody. But that doesn't only count for if someone's attacking you, the attackers feel the same way. So they're really only going to attack you if they're desperate and have really good reason to believe they have a chance of winning. This is true even if it's a Klingon versus Federation battle and Klingons love battle, but they are really looking for the advantage in it. So when your players are coming in, maybe they're coming in from Dungeons and Dragons, maybe they're coming in from Star Wars, maybe they're coming in from some of these more rock'em, sock'em, hack'em, slash'em, you may have to have a little conversation like, I hope you understand that you're in a ship, no one around you for dozens of light years. If you take damage, you're probably dead if your life support goes down. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we treat our game, I know, with that much sanctity of life that if you're firing a photon torpedo at somebody, you better be pretty sure that you can defend if they retort, mm-hmm. if they come back at you. And that's what makes Star Trek different is the preservation of life, not only on my ship, but understanding the impact on other ships. And that really t- tends to me to slow down the players a little bit to be like, let's be super cautious and not go pew pew. Let's negotiate if we can so that we all survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I love about Nathan's design for the system is that he intentionally built in, like, if you're going to use photon torpedoes, that's you intentionally at ratcheting up the lethality and the danger. You're going to, you know, spend that threat. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big deal or, or not spend the threat, but you're, you're adding threat to the, because it's just, it's escalating the situation. Um, but no, I think Michael, you make a great point. Like, like, 
have that talk with your players and say, look, this isn't like a lot of other RPGs. When you get into a combat, the end goal is not to wear down your opponent into oblivion, right? You're not looking for the the zero HP solution here because you're not going to gain any experience points. You're not going to get any loot or treasure. You're, you know, you don't have to get into a fight to, to beat somebody into submission. Like I, I think about um, the, the great fight between uh, uh, Khan and Kirk and Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, right? Those two, the Reliant and the, yeah, the Reliant and the Enterprise beat the hell out of each other, but neither of them get destroyed in the combat. I mean, there's an exception because the Reliant used the Genesis device, which was the ultimate, you know, um, um, uh, Deus Ex Machina kind of thing at the very end there. But the combat, the combat piece of it, they were battering away at each other and they were badly damaged at certain points and then they got repairs. But that that's what she should be shooting for more so than I'm just going to keep firing and firing and firing and firing. I'm just going to destroy you utterly because, you know, if you're Starfleet and doing that, you're probably going to have a conversation in the next episode from, uh, from, uh, uh, you know, senior uh, Starfleet commander or something saying, you know, this isn't, but what was your reason for just obliterating this, uh, the ship when you already had them, you know, defeated or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, and just think about what's happening on the international space station right now. I don't care how much an American may degree, disagree with a Russian. They're not getting in a fight up there. Mm-hmm. That's not real. Reality is you don't fight in space. Your life is you're already hanging by a thread in this life support system as it is. So mm-hmm. I think I think in Star Trek they show this is a dangerous job, and mm-hmm. and you don't mess with your starship systems unless you're really pushed to the edge. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a, you, only because you brought it up. I'm going to I'm going to go give you a non sequitur for a second here. Have either of you seen the trailer for the ISS movie that's coming up? Like I, I saw that trailer in the movie theater and I was like, uh, that's this doesn't feel right. Like if, if I'm a bunch of mixed, mixed uh, nationality astronauts on the ISS and a nuclear war happens on Earth we're not going to be fighting each other because like this, this, this ISS is like an eggshell in space. And if any of us screw it up, we're all dead. And then, then who cares? Right. So I, I I don't know the plot. I've only saw what was in the trailer and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. So actually it's funny that you said that because I saw that and I thought the same thing. I was like, I'm never fighting in space. It's too precarious. Yeah. Like I watched, uh, I watched, um, what what was the movie with, um, uh, Sandra Bullock, Uh, a gravity. Where, where like the station just got obliterated by all this debris. It's like, no, 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 come on. It, anybody who's in space is going to be working together to, to try to somehow get out of it. The, like everybody's a friend when, when, once you're in space, man. Come on. <laughs> Dead on right. And that, that sums up really ship to ship battle in Star Trek to me is that, that even, um, you know, and we've seen it actually in, in naval times too, in naval wars, there is generally a respect among captains and sailors because mm-hmm. when they're out at sea, that's equal to space, right? And yeah. and there's just certain things in rules of war you just don't do because you know once someone's in the water, they're already dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. Anything else to add about that kind of mechanic? Uh, the only thing that I wanted to throw in is like the the kind of aftermath, right? Um, even though we see like we see this beautiful Galar class getting destroyed behind you, Michael, um, and Uh, When we see explosions like that in Star Trek, we assume that like, oh, that ship has been turned to dust. Likely not, right? Likely there are three or four major sections that are still there that could potentially still have life on board, right? In this eggshell that you were just talking about. And and now uh, you may have uh, won the battle, but now the the Starfleet kicks in, right? Like 
you need to make sure that everybody who is on there is safe and can get, you know, the, the medical attention they need and so on and so forth. Um, so when you are having these head to head battles, just remember, if you do cause an explosion like that, that doesn't mean that you vaporize them. Right. Um, that means that there are probably people there that maybe didn't want to be in a battle um, that need saving and rescuing. Yeah, I think if um, if Aaron uh, Paulier was on the show with us, he, he would remind us that that uh, starships are really, really durable. And uh, and especially, I mean, certainly Starfleet ships, I'm, I'm willing to bet most of the different civilizations have have bulkheads and have um, uh, force fields that can snap into place. Like we see we see force fields happening all the time on the shows. Like if there's a whole breach, force field snaps on within a couple of seconds. There's usually the obligatory poor person who gets blown, you know, sucked <laughs> out into space. You, you get that horrible, sad moment of like this person just got <laughs> sucked out into space. Yeah, and then and then the force field. They hit down. a bulkhead on the way out, of course. Oh, like, really uh, give it that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like but, that little that little bit. Yeah. Um, the one you're as you're saying this, I want people to visualize Discovery. That episode when the force field kicked in first season was mind-blowingly cool. Oh, right. Where Burnham was in the brig, right? And had to get out. Yeah. So that, that's a great example. And then the season finale of uh, the second season of Strange New Worlds, right? Where the uh, uh, the Cayuga gets gets obliterated, or not obliterated, but gets destroyed essentially by the Gorn. But like half the saucer is still intact. And there's still people, or at least one person still alive on the ship. I'm willing to bet there were more, but we didn't go into, <laughs> we didn't go into detail. I'm like, I'm sure Chapel wasn't the only one left alive. Come on. But oh, spoiler warning if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but anyway, so like clearly, even though that saucer got, got, you know, chopped in half, there were still force fields and bulkheads and, and there were security protocols built into it that was keeping it alive. And you can see the, you know, oxygen was venting from certain places and it looked cool and dramatic. And even the bridge was still largely intact, even though it got damaged. So like, like, yes, even though you've destroyed a ship, there's still a lot of collateral damage and there's still a lot of people probably on that vessel that are still alive that, you know, guess what? You blew up the ship. You're kind of obligated to go rescue them now because you're the only two ships in a very large quantity of space and you can't necessarily rely on rescue to come get them because they might may not have communications they may not have the means to help themselves so um you may have just created a bigger problem for yourself and gosh what a great plot line that would be right well this is where star trek is very interesting because usually what you see in ship to ship battle is what you said one ship beats up the ship enough to do what send a boarding party now you take your players back into maybe a playing system that they're more used to the phasers and you know hand-to-hand combat so so game masters maybe you use that as the teaching tool if you do get into ship to ship battle whichever one comes out on top don't have your players afraid that the ends the game the minute their weapons are disabled and engines are disabled. Maybe what you do is to tone it down and make it more Star Trek realistic is you now have the Klingons beam on board and now they're on a fight to save their ship while trying to figure out can they repair it at the same time and beat the other ship. So, so there's different ways you could play it, which are way more to me, I know, realistic if we lived in space. It, it, I think it would be way more realistic and actually a little bit more fun for the players to pull off that James T. Kirk let them beam on board and then blow them up type of thing. Star Trek <laughs> voyage yeah. home. I mean, Star Trek search for Spock, right? Yeah. But I think uh, now that you mentioned it, Michael, I think this is also a good way um, or not, not good, but this, this could be an interesting way to uh, like, maybe if you've got a, a group of players on your ship and some of them are kind of restless because like they feel like, well, d- during ship combat, I don't have anything to do. 
right? Like, uh, you know, the tactical officer and the helm officer got all the cool stuff to do. I'm like, working sensors or something that's a great opportunity to throw some people on a shuttle send the shuttle off to another ship maybe there's a maybe there's a, sh a ship that's in need of some uh some rescuing or maybe you're going to send a boarding party to a to a ship that you've just kind of beaten down and you're off to the next part of the battle you know send a shuttlecraft over there or, or do something like what uh, shacks did at the end of the first season of uh, lower decks right grab rutherford get in a shuttle go go crash into the enemy and plant that uh, plant that uh, computer virus right uh, so that's an opportunity to give players who maybe may not be getting enough things to do during the ship combat split the party go go get them off to another part and then just cut scenes right cut scenes back and forth between the two groups or three groups or you know whatever you feel comfortable with doing yeah and i i mean i can't keep track of the number of times i've seen like um you know, Nurse Chapel uh, fighting off intruders on the Enterprise, mm. right? You know, um, so like this gives the people who wouldn't normally on the be on the bridge uh, something else that they could, you know, bite their teeth into if they needed. So I really like that idea. Yeah. And, you know, gosh, non sequitur, but I, I, I love the second season of Discovery or of, of Strange New Worlds because it showed us that the two the two people in the medical in the sick bay are two of the sickest fighters on the ship, right? Like, yeah, you got, you got Mbanga and, and Chapel. They both have military, uh, you know, hardcore wartime experience from the, from the Federation Klingon war. And now they're coming in and they're like two of the, two, two of the toughest fighters, two of the scrappiest fighters on the ship, which is hilarious to me. Cause I think we've seen them fight probably more than uh, um, uh, La'an, I think. I mean, I know La'an's done a lot of like, you know, phaser shooty stuff, but I don't see, I don't think I've seen her do as much hand-to-hand -hand fisticuff stuff like uh, Chapel and uh, Mbenga. I just, I, that's a funny I, side. No, you, no, you're totally right. And I think that actually what I like about that where it actually matches is I know one of the things myself and Al have been designing into modules that are going to be coming out are optional encounters. And mm -hmm. I know the reason we're doing these optional encounters is just in case you have something that's focused on, say, ship-to-ship -ship battle, let's build in some options to give game masters, okay, while this is going on, you could also do this for the doctor or also do this for this, you know, the chief engineer. So, mm -hmm. so if you are game mastering and you're designing a story, design also, okay, while this is happening, what are optional encounters to keep people busy at the same time? And that way, everyone feels like they're part of the battle. Mm -hmm. Yep, totally. Okay. All right, so we cool. did the big fleet battle we just took it to ship to ship battle of course remembering that uh, to me my my big takeaway that is just ask them what they want to do and and tell them the role that they need to do it until they get their rhythm now what if we want a super simplified system of ship battle which to me is more the standard star trek narrative when it comes to how how battles happen do you want to start jim with that one your suggestions uh I'm I'm not quite sure exactly where you're going with this, but I I I lean into it and I hearken to all the great scenes in the next generation where it's it's Picard facing off against Commander Tomalak or some other adversary captain, and it's a game of brinksmanship, right? It's 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 negotiation, it's 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 uh um it's posturing, it's it's threatening, it's like they escalate and escalate and escalate, and they're just about ready to push the button and something resolves the plot, and they're like, Oh, now we can step back from the step back from the edge, and oh, we'll get you next time. Oh, you know, you're you're right on the edge of the neutral zone. Oh, we're just gonna play this game of cat and mouse with each other. So that's that's one way to do it, is uh is is have the 
have the potential of space combat be front and center and use that as a as a tensioner to ratchet up the the tension for the players um and you know maybe spend some threat bring in some reinforcements like i did that in a in a in a great session where um you know the 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 crew went to a, a alien space station that had a bunch of like small scale um fighters around it and as things got more tense during the episode i i spend two threat here two threat there oh another another uh a flotilla of uh ships come to the station and another flotilla it's like gradually just ratcheting up the tension and it's like they felt like, oh, there's going to be a space combat coming. We're just going to get ready for it. What do we do? What do we do? And they kept digging and they kept digging for the for the solution, for the for the diplomatic negotiation solution. And eventually it worked because that's that's like I, I was willing to go any direction with it. But they went they went there and I was like, OK, let's do it because that feels that felt right. You know, so um, play with it that way. But uh, Al, what's your what's your perspective? Yeah, I, I think. The, the way I would do something like that, Jim, is I think this is where we I, I would go rules, um, you know, I, I would probably go to the captain's log and start using um, the dice rolls from the captain's log um, mm-hmm. as uh, because the way I think of it is it doesn't have to be ship to ship combat, right? It's a ship to ship encounter. Yeah. Right. And the way one ship comes out on top over another ship it's up to the crew, right? So whether you are sparring with words or whether you are firing phasers and torpedoes, you're still trying to get successes against that ship. Um, and the way Captain's Log works is if you roll a miss, uh, that ship has gotten a success on you. Um, so I think I might actually like just just to have some dice rolling in there, I might bring in that captain's log um, type rolling to see yeah. what's happening on the spar. Like, don't go super crunchy with it, um, but just so that like you can adjust the narrative accordingly um, as as you're going through that. Uh, I think captain's log works really, really well. I would um, make a couple of tweaks maybe uh, in that, um, you know, maybe the number of hits you need to succeed would be more if it's a diplomatic thing than if it was a phaser thing, right? If it's a particularly stubborn um, species that you're trying to, that you're head to head with, like let's say the clickets from lower decks, um, it might be a lot harder to reach a diplomatic solution with them uh, than, you know, uh, you know, a, a flat, a firefight. Um, so I might tweak Captain's I like that. You or know like, how I would tweak. Oh, I'm just. I want to say how I would tweak that. If if you're. Keep well, going, I just, I just, the other thing that I would do is, if it does turn to uh, ship combat, I would um, use the number of hits needed to uh, to succeed or to to overcome or defeat um, would be equal to the scale of the ship, mm-hmm. um, instead of just saying three successes and the and the story's over. Um, so if you're if you're try if you're in uh, phaser, phaser, phaser against a scale six ship, you're going to need some more hits, you know, to, to overcome it. That, that, those are the tweaks that I would make on it. Mm-hmm. Well, just to remind me, think of that. No, 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 it is. It is actually. So first of all, I just want to, I just wanted to expand that how it reads in captain's log. In fact, on page two fourteen of captain's log, create hit tracks based on scale. Yeah. Okay. Plus two. If you're the hero ship. Okay. So, I've so <laughs> so yeah, and, and so I just want to be clear on that. That, that is yeah. the case. So it is it, it is scale plus two. Oh, it is um, okay. Yeah, so that makes sense. The Good. bigger the ship, the more hits it can take. 
I like your idea about the command argument, um, or sorry, about the negotiating and how I would base those hit track is the command score. Mm. I would take the command score of the main captain or, you know, the captain, if they're, because usually captains are command four or five, right? Command four or five against the command score of the opponent and then go hits like that. That's intimidation, negotiation, diplomacy. I like that. Maybe, maybe even the commander's command score plus the scale of their ship, right? Like, it, like if the if the size of their ship is like a a factor, like I mean, like you know, Picard on the Galaxy class is is a step up from like you know yes. Ducat on the dinky uh, freighter that he got at one point in DS Nine, right? Like, like there's a scale thing that like he's got the bigger ship that could be more intimidating that might influence my diplomacy. I might need a couple extra successes to to chip away at that maybe that is the thought no no what i i love that what i would do is take the captain's command score with Mm -hmm. the ship's command score because that represents his diplomatic attaches Mm -hmm. the reputation of the ship for as a diplomatic so i normally i know we do disciplines with attributes or ship systems with departments in this case i actually would do captain to make the track i would do captain's command score with ship command score because mm-hmm. sure, if, because if a captain's honestly, if a captain is in a shuttlecraft command zero, he's not that impressive. But if all of a sudden he's in command five enterprise, mm-hmm. his five plus five is a 10 track. I think that makes, you know, they have a lot of posturing behind them. Yeah. And I would run that way. I, so, so I really like that idea. Alan. I think that's going to be a modification, Jim, we bring into our collab game. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Al, Al I, I can't remember it. Like, like I know it's been a couple of years and I'm, I'm on to like the next book. Um, like did, was it, was it Nathan who came up with the idea in the, in the player guide or the game master guide to, to get away from the idea of always having to match an attribute to a discipline and started playing with it to say you could do attribute, attribute or, or discipline, discipline, or just like really like mix and match the characters with the ships. Is that where we started doing that? Yeah, I I think uh, so. Nathan had been doing that with um, I think John Carter was the first okay. that actually did that. Um, mm-hmm. So he basically brought that in. And a lot of the Game Master Guide uh, are things that Nathan had in other books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. And and John Carter, if I remember correctly, it doesn't have skills at all. It's just attributes and you pair up two attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. okay. So, right. so I so think that's... that's where that came from. Got it. Okay. So I guess, I guess, you know, if there's any players who've made it through the hour (laughs) that we've been going on about this, like maybe just think, you know, players and game masters, like realize that the system is super fluid. It's super, super flexible. And I think coming from a, from a hardwired game, like, you know, D and D and Pathfinder where the rules are very, very clear and very, very like, this is how you do it. Uh, Cause you know, D and D has been around for 40 some years. Like it knows what it wants to do and it does it very well. Um, but to find that wiggle room in the, in the core set itself, I mean, if you're designing a, a fifth edition game, that's one thing, but like playing core mechanics, it's like, okay, there's only, this is how you do it. Right. But, um, for, for Star Trek adventures, gosh, you could, you can play with these numbers all day long to do what you want them to do. And honestly, now that you mentioned it, and I'm going to start doing this in our game, Al, what I could see, if, if everyone's agreeable to simplifying to captain's log ship combat rules in our yeah. game, you know, mm-hmm. I have to talk and make sure they agree with it. I would actually treat it like two extended tasks going on at the same time. So while you're in the middle of ship battle, you could also still be doing a diplomatic track. We see that mm-hmm. happen in Star Trek all the time. So mm-hmm. it's whoever finishes the track first. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And so I think having those simultaneously, where you got part of the people doing that operations tactical stuff, you still have your captain and maybe your counselor and doctor trying to find a diplomatic solution. Mm -hmm. That would be a real fun way to run a double extended task. Yeah. Or even you could even go further with it. Like I, I was thinking about um, the the Discovery season two finale where they're they're fighting control. But in the meantime, they're desperately trying to build that that time suit so they can get Burnham on her way. Right. So like you got the combat thing going on and then extended task. And then you've got Burnham and company building that suit extended task. And then there was, uh, there was probably another one in there about, uh, it was all the subplots and things going on, but you could easily add in another element where maybe, maybe, well, I mean, I actually, you know, I guess, uh, I guess Giorgio and, um, um, non fighting Leland, that, that, that whole little sub, Thing could have been an extended task too because like they had a goal they were trying to lead him to the uh to the um to the spore drive um uh um thingy and uh to, so that they could lock him in and and screw him up so that, that could have almost been three separate uh uh extended tasks happening all stacked up against each other right i mean yeah i'm yeah. sure there's other examples but that, that's just the one that came to mind yeah, and that goes with those optional encounters we talked about. And then, again, the, one of the reasons, again, I'll pitch it to you, Al, first, because you're on the group. If we did this method for ship-to-ship -ship combat, I, I would love to use the captain's log roll on breaches, too. So because the it just it's it's more narrative. It's not it's not as technical as STA, um, mm -hmm. but it tells you, okay, in this case, you have a major complication happening or a major breach. Here, it's a minor thing. Based off that, I can then create linear tasks or tasks to keep other players busy based off how that rolls very, you know, high level in, in Captain's Log. I, I think we, we're a very narrative-based group with who are super creative and don't mind throwing themselves into complications. So I think for our type of narrative group, that that might work. Yeah, and, and at the same time, you know... Um, there, there are groups that prefer to get into the nitty gritty, right? Um, so if you are doing that and you want to keep track of this is my second breach to engines and this is what's going on, do it. Like if your players are for it, like go nuts. Um, and, and, and I think that um, you just need a way to track those things, um, whether it's a dry erase board, whether it's, you know, a piece of paper that you're all looking at or something on a virtual tabletop, um, have a way, have your six systems and say, you know, how many breaches have happened to each, um, if that's something um, that you're into. I know that we have a lot of players coming from like um, FASA and, and, and Starfleet battles and things like that, that are really interested in those type of minutia, because it is it is pretty realistic, um, you know, the way the system is written in the books. Um, but if if you're finding that that's a little bit overwhelming, absolutely um, just go to the the uh, captain's log uh, breaches. I think that would help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're, and you're right, Al. If, if you're the type of player or the type of group that enjoys tracking power expenditures and you want to do that, sure. Go ahead. The system's there. Absolutely. Do it all day long. Track your breaches, track your track your power expenditures. Um, uh, what else is there? The uh, yeah, shield and hull, all that great stuff. So, you know, go 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 crazy. I <laughs> see, I find, and this is just my experience talking, I find it way easier instead of tracking that, that me as a 
game master use the complications that the players roll or the threat in order to create complications that power is not doing well. Therefore, their next task roles are more difficult. And I think that's just a more, to me, that's a more truncated way to do it as opposed to tracking all that. Use the trait system to do it, you know, advantages, complications. You're still getting to the same point, Yeah, in, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, and complications pop up all the time on the show. I mean, it's not hard to find. Like if you get into the right mindset, it's like, oh, that's a complication. Oh, there's a complication. I was just watching um, uh, 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 New Eden last night, uh, Discovery, where um, wait, wait, was it New Eden? No, it was the Brothers. Uh, it, it, the one where, um, you know, it was the first, the, it was Brother, the first episode of the second season where um, Pike and uh, Burnham and uh, Connolly and Nan are all flying the little pods to get to the Hiawatha, right? And um, there's just this, this one moment where uh, Pike is having a bad day. His uh, his bubble starts to crack, and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna eject." It's like, "Oh, my helmet doesn't work." Well, I, I was like, "Oh shit, there's a complication right there." He he was having a bad dice day, I guess. Uh, the player playing Pike <laughs> got a couple of complications exactly. right there, and the game master took advantage of it. <laughs> All these awesome. little things that pop up. This is good. This is really good. All right. So so uh, let's kind of, you know, sum up from high level again to the mid to the bottom. Maybe we'll each take one. Uh, let's let's have uh, Al. Actually, no, I think I think. Yeah. Yeah. Al, I'll have you start. Sum up again. Fleet battles. If people want to hear that. And then, Jim, you'll do the mid level and I'll handle the, the sim- super simplified. Okay. So a couple of different options when doing fleet battles, right? You can do something that's more like a board game where um, in the background, parts of your fleet are interacting with the enemy fleet and just using single roles um, to see what's happening in that area while the focus is still narratively on um, the players on the hero ship. Um, so that's one option you could do. Um, the other option is um, to use the crew qualities uh, from the core rulebook uh, and uh, give everybody a ship that they um, fly around uh, during the battle. That does tend to take a little bit longer, but it gives everybody a chance to kind of um, interact and and fire uh, phasers and things like that. Um, the recommendation on that would be, of course, to um, just use the uh, the modified uh, Game Master um, Breach Tracker, um, yeah. just so that uh, you don't have a lot of minutia. Um, and those are probably two ways that you could do mass combat um, in a way that is fairly succinct. Yes. And if you do the second method, you have to play the theme song to Top Gun the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, Jim, (laughs) mid-level ship-to-ship combat. Uh, Mid-level ship-to-ship combat. You can pretty much run it as is right out of the book. Uh, Just remember and encourage your players that it's not about just beating the other ship into oblivion. It's you get to a point and then there's probably going to be a story beat where some there's some consequence or some reason to think about, Okay, we've 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 knocked out their engines. We've knocked out their weapon systems. They are not really now able to do anything. Now it's time to reopen negotiations now that you've got the upper hand. And now what do you do? Or maybe you send a landing party or you send a boarding party or you send a rescue team. Maybe something's happened and you're not sure what's happening. Or maybe in the midst of that fight, some MacGuffin comes up and you're like, oh, wait, we shouldn't be fighting them. We should be doing something else. But uh, as far as mechanics and stuff go, I think the the rules, make sure everybody has something to do. And if you're if it's clear that some people are like ready to do something else, then give them that opportunity. Find a story reason to get them off the ship or into another part of the ship. Maybe the other ship sends a boarding party to, to your ship. Right. And now instead of, you know, 
fiddling with the sensors on the bridge. Now they've got to go defend their ship and defend their crewmates and uh, and see what that does. So uh, so play with that angle uh, before you go down to the next level and using Captain's Log. And uh, Michael will tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Captain's Log, I'll say Captain's Log page 214. You know, we wanted to make it so simple. We drew a flowchart for you. Uh, well designed by uh, Josh Allen, of course, um, who, who was one of the major writers on that one. So in that case, you're not playing every minutiae of your ship breaking apart. You're more narrative. You're like, okay, it took a hit. You roll on a random table. What was that hit and the impact of it? And you really let your players narrate what that looks like. If you want to make it so that repairs are necessary, create complications. The complications are them taking action against the repairs. You can make it a linear gated challenge or an extended task if you want to. But in that way, I feel that in my opinion, that's one of the most common things we see in Star Trek is, you know, a phaser hits the ship and Worf says, we just lost the right starboard engine. Okay, that's a complication. Maneuverability on contests are now one plus one difficulty until repaired. So I think that to me is where I like seeing um, our Star Trek game fall. I just have to get all the guys to agree with it at our next game session. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Or, or like, or, or, or I love the great uh, the moments of like, uh, oh, we have a, a whole breach on deck 17. And, you know, maybe earlier in the episode, somebody important was on deck 17. Uh Oh, now you've got a potential subplot or, or thing to go deal with. Like the person on the bridge is like, oh, wait a minute. X person was on deck 17. Oh, my gosh. Now what happens? Is Sp you spend your threat tension. for a reversal. They got sucked down yeah. into space. Right. Yep. You know, yeah. So. Yep. True, true. All right. Fantastic. Um, I love telling people that, again, this is a continuing conversation. This started in the morning with me, Alan, Jim on Facebook saying, hey, what are some something we need? We're hearing a lot on social media we need to yeah. talk about. And Al proposed this. Um, and, and so, Al, look how much we got content out of this. So thank you so much for the proposal. Good stuff. All right. Let's close Thank with you, gratitude then. I'll do myself, then Al, then Jim. Um, my gratitude uh, today is actually going to go to Al. <laughs> and so so um and it's because the idea I, what i know and it goes to a lot of the people on social media today i don't know i'm sure jim saw it i'm sure al saw it i was working and then someone put a question on discord in the sta uh rules query and there was a couple fans that just answered it so co cohesively and put in links and solutions and i and jim you always talk about this with the fans um I got to say, this is so great that we have these discussions. And even the reason, Al, I wanted to focus on saying thank you to you is because just now people just saw what we're like when we modify the game rules to fit our needs. And, and it's always been like this playing with you and with everybody. So thank you for being one of my creative inspirations. All right, Al, next to you, go over to you. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. You're, you're, you're too nice as always. Um, but uh, my, my, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you to, any designer that has gone into um, designing uh, miniatures-based Starfleet combat simulators, right? We had um, Starfleet battles still exist today, and that was written over 30 years ago. Uh, and there are still community members making new ships and putting them out there uh, for everyone to use. Um, you know, the FASA uh, Starfleet uh, battle uh, simulator, um, you know, even right now, WizKids is, you know, they, they, produce attack wing uh they've got a new one uh called i think it's called into the unknown coming out where it's like capital ships uh uh in combat with each other and uh you know there's a lot of people out there that are trying to um to to focus on this very small niche of star trek uh and we do appreciate all the work that you do to to keep people excited about 
the franchise. Nice. Thank you, Al. Uh, I have two thank yous. I think I'll do the fans first because I'm always appreciative of the fans, but I always feel like I, I, I tack it on at the end. Um, and it's exactly because of what Ma Michael said. Like we get, there's so many different well-known social media channels now that where the game is heavily talked about, you know, you got the subreddit and discord and Facebook and the official forums and stuff. And I really appreciate the fan base because like, the new there's we've always got new people coming into the game like literally every week someone's buying the core book someone's buying the pdf someone's buying checking out the quick start whatever there's always like especially the facebook group i see constantly um you know the the admins post the the welcome new members every sunday and it's like there's always this long list of new people and i'm like i'm so excited to see these new people right but invariably what happens is they'll ask the i don't mean this disparagingly they'll they'll ask the newbie questions right they, they're new to the game they've got questions they they have issues with the core book yeah okay we know seven years i i, I get it <laughs> we've we've heard it all before not to say your concerns are not valid but we've heard it um but they ask all these great questions and and sometimes i'll read the question i'm like <sighs> Okay, here we go again. And I'll get ready to start typing, right? And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Someone's already posted a nice, long, beautiful description linking out to continuing conversations, linking out to continuing mission, linking out to any of the resources or stuff that are out there. It's like, oh, my, my job is done. I don't have to do anything. I can just hit the like button and call it good. <laughs> so grateful for all the fans, for everything that you're doing for the game, uh, for supporting the game, supporting each other. Uh, super thankful for you. Can't thank you enough. And I think uh, the best, I don't remember who it was who reminded me of this. It might've been, it might've been Eric Campbell who reminded me that, that the way we say thank you to the fans is putting our heart and soul and love into each product that comes out for the next one. So you just keep adding it. Not, not to say we're being mercenary and we're expecting you to buy it. Right. Cause of course it's a business. So we got to do it. Right. Put my Ferengi years on. Um, but uh that's our thank you to you is like, we, we just love what you're doing. So that's, that's the big thank you right there. Um, I also want to say thank you to both of you and to all the contributors of Star Trek adventures, because no lie guys in the last three days, I have touched just in, in the course of my project management and line editing, working on all these different products that I'm working on. I think I touched 21 different products, whether it's a mission brief or a standalone or a book or a thing that I'm working on and, and wow. or line editing or proofing or I mean, just this stuff, right? There's just so much stuff. Um, but every single time I read one of these things, I'm, I, I get little sparks of ideas, like every sentence, every chapter, every paragraph you guys write. And it's not just you two. It's, I mean, it's everybody. It's everybody who, who we've brought on board. And it's like, Oh, Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And it, it, it's like a little, dagger in my back is like oh you just don't have the time to play you don't have the time to run the game you don't have the time it's like but look at all this stuff i want to play with <laughs> let's so try like, to I find have... the same rest home when we all retire i know Wouldn't right? that be cool let's yeah. find a nice rest home a good I'm table today. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna use part of my retirement savings for the ultimate yeah. gaming table you know with the little slide outs and all that and i'm there <laughs> yeah Give me, give me my, uh, give me my protein shake and my Jello, and and roll me up to the table with my D20s, and uh, I'm good to go. Let's do it. <laughs> my IV, so I don't have to like drink. I just get that's just right. A little IV. Put the Star Trek music on. I'm good. I'm there. I would, I would be there all day long. So anyway, thank you to all the. I, I know it might sound a little self-serving, but I am grateful that all of you are on board with all your great ideas, and that you're tapping into that that Star Trek creative unconscious and putting it into the products because I read that stuff so much and I'm like, Oh, these are such great ideas. And I just can't wait to get them out 
into the into the world so yeah. and thank for, you all and for, the, you. for those of you who are watching or listening to this you know basically the three of us here including others you know we're probably we're, i'll call us the section 31 of star trek adventures because we know so many goodies are coming out and we can't even tell you <laughs> i mean there's such stuff coming. there's there's stuff Stop. <laughs> when we make a man when we don't mad. when we don't talk about stuff when all of a sudden we fall silent that's all i'm gonna say yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, or, or you know, in my case, I'm just so freaking busy. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, will, I, just, I mean, I got to be a comedian about this for a second before uh-huh. we close out. It's funny because you know we'll be active, talking, 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 and then people will start talking about something special, and then we're all, we're all like, hmm. Hmm. We, "You hear nothing from us." Frickets. Section thirty-one. Section thirty-one. <laughs> all right, everyone. I D I C. Uh, live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all again real soon.